Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Are you ready to get pumped? Dude, I am still pumped from the interview. It was like five days ago, and we're still running on adrenaline from this thing. Yes, we are doing this intro after we recorded this podcast interview, which we often do to make sure that our intros are timely and we're recording this intro the night before we release this it's how the sausage gets made people that's right i'm sure it's fascinating to everybody out there <laughs> but you know ward and i were were together today we did a socially distanced backyard uh little barbecue on labor day and we spent some time talking about the interview that we did a couple days ago that you guys are all about to listen to and i'm still pumped up i, I absolutely I, it's invigorating well, and trying to get Annie, my lovely wife, to care about anything that transpires during one of these interviews is difficult. Sure. There's just a lot of nodding, eyes glazing over, changing the subject. But I really had to be like, look, this was a different experience. We've all done a lot of Zooming and FaceTiming this year. But to have the kind of visceral, visceral reaction. I didn't make up any new words. I know, you didn't. I, I was going to let it go. I reserve that for reasonable rabbit. It's just a <laughs> shtick I do for that, really. Yeah, it's, I it's just, you know, part of the character. Sure. I was like, no, honey, you, you need to understand. Speaking with this man has a molecular effect on your system. <laughs> so if you need me to lift anything heavy, now is the time to now ask. Now is the time. Yeah, it's spinach for the soul is what, what this interview turned out to be. And I want to say this, because I want to head this off at the pass. There are some of you who have been listening to our podcast from when we started it almost two years ago, when it was just Ward and I yelling at each other. And when we did that, we made jokes about the football program. And the basketball program. And that's true. We made jokes about everybody. Look, if you win, great. If you don't win, not great for you. But look, anybody who's not anybody, but most people who have been longtime fans of Indiana have taken a pot shot or two at the Indiana football program. And we are not excluded from that group. That said, we've always desperately wanted them to be good. But after the decades of watching them, and especially the, the lowest of the lows that we've experienced often as Indiana football fans, at some point it becomes easier to distance yourself emotionally. And you make jokes about it because it makes the losing somewhat bearable. 
Now I realize that's not how everybody approaches it. And there are some of you out there who have been diehard IU football fans banging the drum that we're about to turn the corner every single week for the last many decades. God bless you. That's not who we are. No, not, not at all. And look, just keep in mind, there's nobody we make more fun of than ourselves or each other. Okay. <laughs> and we love each other and we respect each other. So to think that any, any cracks we make along the way reflect the idea that we don't want the program to be successful is nonsense. And anybody who doesn't even care about the game of football, which I clearly do, uh, would be foolish not to want to see this team win if for no other reason than it's going to really help the basketball team. <laughs> totally. But in and of itself, the dream of having an IU football program that is the epicenter for social activity during the fall and, and heading into the winter is just a dream that we have had since, I mean, since I was a kid. The tailgates were always great, but if you could add into the equation, then you go into the stadium year in and year out. And, and, and while you're in that football stadium and we have a ranked team in that football stadium, that's the home team, not the visiting team. And then, you know, as soon as that football season is, is done in the regular conference season, then our foot, our basketball team, which is also now going to be ranked all the time. And then, oh, and then you got to jump back into football in January because we're going to be playing in a bowl game, you know, and then we go back over to basketball and, and we know we're going to the tournament. I believe this is the future we are now stepping into. You're right. I just want to say up until this year and up until even our podcast interview that we're about to play, I was skeptical. I mean, I really was. The years and years of, of disappointment, the, the regular, oh, this is it, and then it just craps the bed again the following year. It, it's just become an all-too-common refrain for Indiana football. And so I have emotionally tried to keep it at bay, and yet I watch every game, and I go crazy when we win, and I'm really upset when we lose, but not nearly as upset I've I've been able to to be like just really happy when we win and not upset. That's fair. You're right. Yeah, it's I, I've I've trained myself to that. That said, when we lost the bowl game this year, I was extremely upset. Yeah, yeah. And that's good. Mm -hmm. That's really good because I expected to win the game, and I don't remember the last time I expected Indiana football to win big games, and that is so incredible that that's where this program is right now, or at least the expectation that we're going to compete in big games. And so I take personal responsibility for the jokes I've made, but spending the time that we got to spend with this man, it, it is why we waited on doing any football podcast because we wanted to make sure that if we were gonna journey into the world of football, it had to be the right one to do it with. And this guy is the right one at the right time. And I am bought in. I am on board. You can call it bandwagon if you want. But I'm just so happy that we got to talk to him. And I can't wait to – I hope people respond to it. I really do. Because I want people to feel what we felt. If anybody is on the fence about Indiana football, 
come out of this interview and tell me you're not ready to pad up yourself. Yeah, it means you're dead inside and that there's nothing we can do to help you because this man is a force of nature. And I always liked what he had to say and especially the way he had to say it from even when he was the, the defensive coordinator and when he became head coach. But at the end of the day, the coaching carousels we've been on for our entire life post Bill Mallory, it's just like, oh, we thought, you know, we had it with Hep and then, and then with the offenses of Kevin Wilson. And then, yeah, the defense was clearly getting better, but that's, you know, one third of the game when you're talking about special teams and offense. And then, and then you have recruiting, but everything's been trending in the right direction. So now it's almost like, all right, this, this emotion, this passion is what's fueling execution and improvement and ascension. So I can even, I'm an emotional guy. That's like kind of my job description in a lot of ways to get caught up in emotions. So that's easy for me. But as a guy who is not an expert in football or, or, anything in sports when it comes to X's and O's, it's like, oh, okay, well, we need to see results and this and that and the other. And now that all that stuff is bearing fruit, it's so much easier to let you yourself go into the, the passion that this man not only exudes himself, but he's contagious. You get caught up in it and there's no sort of asterisk or caveat like, okay, yeah, but let's see how he does run in the whole program. Cause we know, we know that's all headed in the right direction too. So it's like, great. Let me just go crazy with this guy. Yeah. I mean, and look in college sports, we've talked about this a lot and college football is no different. I understand you need university support. I understand you need resources and facilities and assistant coaches, and you need good assistant coach salary pools. I get all that. You need the top guy, period. And Done. if you don't have it, you're screwed. And if you do have it, you can compensate for a lot of the other things that you don't have. We thought we had it with Hep. I feel like pretty good that we did have it with Hep. Um, and that was tragic. I'm feeling real good that we got it again. And that's, well, uh, that is a unique feeling, being an Indiana football fan for the last roughly 30 years. If people call you a bandwagoner or whatever it is, there's going to be really good company on that bandwagon. Yeah. Because as we talk about in this interview, sort of the way the whole state of Indiana began to really appreciate football at the next level with the arrival and sustained brilliance of Peyton Manning like there is a lot of people around Indiana University just waiting to jump on the bandwagon there better be a bandwagon because we need to fill that stadium and it's not getting filled by the people that are already on it yeah no I'm saying it won't be a problem and the days of another Big Ten school coming to town and having as many or more fans there I I really believe those days are behind us you know, you would almost say that this man's energy source uh, comes from a certain place. You, you would almost say that his energy source might come from the fact that he is powered by Tom Allen. 
first football podcast be I can't believe you just said the name be oh, no. in the middle just, of the siren call be totally hosed it it's what I do you totally hosed it um, before we roll the podcast, let, let's just touch on the basketball news of the week. There's two big things. Neither of them are great news. Look, I mean, Indiana, ha- yeah, Indiana has shut down. I think all the the all the sports that were practicing. I don't know, 14 sports or something like that got shut down, including basketball. Oh no, not 14 sports. I'm sorry, a handful 24. of sports got shut down. No, 24 sports, one team. One team. 14 positive tests for COVID is what caused the shutdown of the sports that were doing workouts and practices, basketball being one of them. It sucks. But you know what? This is the world we live in. People get tested. They get positive results. You got to shut it down. You got to lock down. By the way, I, again, I, I don't want to go back to a reasonable rabbi episode, but it's great. They locked down and what? They're, they're quarantined in COVID-19 apartments, Evolved 19 apartments. Like, yeah. I mean, it's just not great. So this is the reality we're in until we have a widespread vaccine. And the only hope is that get it out of the way now. Yeah, I'm saying better now than late November. Yeah, and you hope that... If you do get it, it means that you have the antibodies and you are less likely to get it in the future. I know we don't have all the science back on this yet, but, but you know, centuries of research say that if you do get it, this kind of thing, you will be less prone to getting it, we hope, or if you do get it again, it will be less impactful. I just hope it runs its course now. I mean, the stats that are coming out about Indiana are embarrassing. I mean, this Greek life stuff, one fraternity came back with 85% positivity. That's high, right? That's higher than the national average. That seems high. I think it's somewhere 8.5 would be... High. That would be high, yeah. by the way. Yeah. So, yeah, still in the danger zone. It's stupid. And I do go back to like when we talked to Pat Shoulders, who we love, and Pat was like, listen, we provide the school. They're 18 years old. They're adults. No, they're not. I don't care what their age is. They're idiots. We were idiots at that age. They're gathering for parties. They're spreading it amongst themselves. They're not wearing masks. They're not being conscious of social distancing. This is what a, this is just what college life is like in 2020. And it was like how it was when we were there too. Kids are stupid and they're not fully formed adults. You hope that the college experience helps get them there, but they're not there yet. So this is the life that it's going to be and it's frustrating as hell. And I feel terrible for the teammates of the people who tested positive. I feel bad for the people that tested positive if it was no fault of their own. If they were doing everything that they were supposed to be doing and they got it because somebody else wasn't, I feel terrible for them. But you just hope it gets through the system, get everybody back in a couple weeks, and let's play some freaking basketball this year. I need to see some basketball. So that's one bit of the story. You have anything you want to add to that? No, I, I don't ever have to talk about COVID again for the rest of my life. Fair enough. But man, how exciting is it? How thrilling is it? We've been waiting for years at this point for Trey Kaufman to finally get to this moment. Yes. It's so exhilarating to find out mm. that we are somewhere in his top five. Oh, thank goodness. By the way, we don't know that yet. 
That's true. It's it's not official. He's announcing today. He's announcing but considering today. nobody can even come up who the fifth one is. I know. I look. I go back and forth on this because if I was a kid, I would probably and I was being recruited by a bunch of big schools. I'd probably make a big deal out of it too. I think I would have some fun with it. I think that's probably fun. So if a kid, I, was- I know that you would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you would. You would have had me write a song for you. <laughs> Here is my top five. Here is my top five. I would have done like every week. This week, top sixty. Next week, top fifty-two. <laughs> you would have had brackets. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But now, as a um, as a immature adult. Uh, it just annoys me. The, the whole thing annoys me. Look, we all know, we all know it's all the reporting, any pigs listener, the most informed listeners in the world because of the wonderful work done by Rabbi and Mike and Trevor and Ken, everybody, they keep us all so informed. We know we're probably neck and neck with Virginia, with UNC and Purdue right there. And then the mystery fifth team he's going to pull out to to wow us all with and so it's it's maybe it's not old news for those who don't have their information powered by pigs but for those of us here it's like come on can we like just get to it already i agree i don't understand why it's necessary like why do you need a top five but you just said you got it i know i go back and forth i'm telling you i do like if a kid wants to do it go for it but i am I'm tired on this one. I, it, just, it just is annoying. That said, I desperately want the kid to commit to Indiana. Oh, so, please, please. So, That's why the suspense is killing me. Please I don't know. suspend me anymore. I do like the idea that he took these un, unofficial visits to these two other schools and kind of like, oh, that's not going to have to wait until the world returns to normal and protract it further. What I do like about this situation is now he feels like this is as good as I'm going to get in making this decision so far as having the information, having been on the campuses. So now I can make a decision. I guess, but why didn't he release the top five before? I mean, like we know who the, we know who four of the five are. Well, maybe because he knows decisions times coming and if he's going to do a top five it's now or never i know i just love the idea that you have to do a top five gotta do it tipped in edits all right look that's where we are with basketball but let's turn you know who's behind tipped in edits right it is not the tipped in tornado yeah it is it's Derek elston it's his side piece <laughs> it's his side piece <laughs> look for the first time ever we're diving headfirst into football we're going for the guy who runs the program, and uh, this is really exciting for us. And we, again, we thank him afterwards, and we thank him during. But for him to take the time to talk to us two morons and let this be our first foray into Indiana University football is an honor, and I loved every second of it. And keep in mind the kind of faith this man has and the love he has for for the fans that he actually, we found out, watched a couple episodes of Reasonable Rabbi to like get an idea of who we are and what he was getting himself into. And got a little and, concerned. And despite all those misgivings, he still did this. And, uh, and if he had half as good a time as we did, and we hope you do, then we're all really happy this went down. Hoosier hysterics. Hoosier hysterics. 
ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of Hysterics Nation. You know we're a basketball podcast, but not today. Today is Mark's new chapter, and we're not getting into the shallow end of the pool. We're going right to the deep end. We're going right to the top of the mountain. Eric, please tell them who is with us today. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are talking to a man who hails from Newcastle, Indiana. He played football at Newcastle for his father, who was the coach. He, went, he has gone on to an illustrious career in coaching football. He played football, first of all, at, I hope I say this right, Maranatha? That's correct. Yes, Maranatha. Good. I'm one for one. He played it. There's going to be others that I might butcher. He played at Maranatha where he also wrestled, by the way, which means he could kick the crap out of both Ward and I, no doubt about it. At the same time. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he began his coaching career, which took some stops in the high school uh, arena, which included defensive coordinator and then head coach at the world famous Ben Davis High School in Indianapolis, Indiana. Went on to be the secondary coach and special team coordinator at Wabash, where all he did was help lead them to the quarterfinals in the NCAA Division II playoffs. From there, he went to NAIA school Lambeth University. Is that right? Lambeth. Lambeth. Ah, damn it. One of two. <laughs> Lambeth University, where he was assistant head coach and defensive coordinator, two conference championships, and the first undefeated season at Lambeth. So I, I just want to make sure everybody's getting the pattern of wherever this guy goes, he wins. Winning. He then went over to Drake, where he was defensive coordinator and linebackers coach. They finished sixth nationally in rush defense, seven all-conference players. Arkansas State as assistant head coach, where he led the conference in defense and was top 25 nationally. And then, talk about diving into the deep end of the football pool, went to the SEC, where he's at Ole Miss, linebackers coach and special teams coordinator. Oh, what did he do there? Well, how about in his last year there, they went to the Peach Bowl, were ranked all the way up to third in the country, finished ninth in the country, and led the nation in scoring defense. And then... Then the Golden Gates to Bloomington opened. He returns home, his rightful home in Indiana, where he became our defensive coordinator and orchestrated the single largest turnaround in the nation for a defense his first year. And anybody who follows Indiana football knows defense has always been an issue for us. Not under this gentleman. <laughs> he turned that around in one year. Of course, then took over the program three years ago as head coach. Just a couple quick things on that. 32 Hoosiers since he's taken over have received all Big Ten honors. 17 Indiana players have been drafted or invited to NFL camps over the past three years, including a record 11 in 2018. The 2019 signing class was the highest rated recruiting class we've ever had. Oh, it beat 2018, which was also his recruiting class. And 2020 is kicking butt as well. And 2021, and we'll get into all that. And of course, the breakthrough season in 2019, where we finished eight and five, a five and four Big Ten mark. It gave us eight wins for just the eighth time in program history. It was the first time we played in a Florida Bowl. We played in January. I mean, we entered the AP top 25, and he was one of 22 finalists for the 2019 George Munger College Coach of the Year Award. Ladies and gentlemen, it gives us great pleasure to welcome the head football coach at Indiana University, Tom Allen. Eric, I appreciate that. <laughs> so, so before we get into everything, I mean, I had to cut back what I was going to say because there's just so much. When you hear all that, Coach, what stands out to you? Is, does one thing stand out right now to you in your long career? 
Well, yeah, you know, I just think of the journey we've been on, you know, it's, it's hard to believe it's been that many years and uh, a lot of great places. I've been blessed. Uh, and you said it, you know, we've been, we've been fortunate. We've been able to go to places, many that, that had not had a lot of success and we've been fortunate to turn those programs around and uh, both at the high school level, the collegiate level, and, and just to kind of a consistent pattern of just going to places and create belief, you know, and just creating a, you know, a mindset change, a culture change, um, you know, uh, just a different way of, of how we function on a daily basis, which created a different product on the, on, on the field, you know, so that's kind of what sticks out to me. I've been really, really blessed though. I just, I love hearing all that. I just feel so fortunate, you know, to be, to be, to have all that lead back to, to, to my home state of Indiana. It really means a lot to me to be here. Uh, this place is special to me. And, and uh, this is my home born and raised here. My family's all here. And, and uh, just to be able to have the experience that I've had in that, in that amount of time has been, uh, it's been a thrill for sure. Well, it is a thrill to have you back home and doing what you're doing. Obviously, this year uh, is unlike any other, certainly for a football coach running a Big Ten program. Things are getting even wackier, probably as we're speaking, as to whether or not this season may may not happen the president's involved it's pretty crazy how do you keep focused and what are you doing day to day not knowing what tomorrow brings yeah it's been a challenge i'm, I'm not gonna i'm not gonna lie to you i mean and it's, it's been ongoing for a while now you know this is you know several months in the making and and it gets more and more challenging all the time to, to keep your players locked in and focused. But I tell you what, I think you just fall back on your core values. You fall back on what you believe and the, the, the principles with which we built this program on of, you know, accountability, toughness, and love, and, and just the LEO concept. And, and we're not going to blink as a program. And so that, that to me is, is, is really wrong. Very, very prevalent in the minds of our players about just not blinking. You know, we have, we have no control over all this stuff that's going on. I have no control over, you know, what may happen here in the next few weeks, you know, as, as far as when we may play again or when our season will may resume. So because of that, you know, you fall back on what you believe, which is it's about attacking today and focusing on today. And, and not dwelling on the things that, that we can't change and we can't control. And so you, you create an environment and a culture where your guys believe in that. They buy into that. You know, I really, the thing that came to my mind, even just recently when we had this, we thought we were about ready to get started and we had four practices in a fall camp and then it got, got stopped again, you know? And so now just this, okay, now what are you going to do in these next several weeks or months or we don't even know how long it's going to be. And, but that, that's the, the idea for me came of, Hey, you know what? It's about the old Abe Lincoln quote that says, if I've been given six hours to chop down a tree, I'm going to spend the first four of those hours sharpening the ax. And so the whole mm. mantra these, these next several weeks is we're going to sharpen our ax. So I challenge each player, each coach to sharpen your ax. And because here's the reality, you know, we are going to play again. And when we play again, we got to be ready and we will be ready, but we won't be ready if we're not sharpening our ax today. And that involves the physical part of it, the mental part of it, the spiritual part of it, all the things that make us who we are. And so that's what we focused on. And we give our guys a plan for that and hold them to that, hold them accountable for that. And uh, we just got to stick to the plan. And so, you know, it takes a lot of trust for our players and they've bought into everything we're doing here. And I love our team. You know, that's what made this so hard. We have a special group of guys that, that uh, we worked hard to get to this point, uh, both in recruiting and player development. And, uh, but, you know, we're not going to blink. We're not. So we just know that when we're called upon and we get a chance to play, we're going to be ready. 
you know, that Abe Lincoln quote is similar to the quote that my friend Andrew Derby lived by in college when he would never write a paper until the morning of, and we would ask him, Andrew, why do you wait to the last minute to write a paper? And his response, again, just like the incredible Abe Lincoln said, Eric, if you wait to the last minute to do something, it only takes a minute. <laughs> not not quite the same one. Oh, my goodness. Not, not quite. Not quite. Not quite. <laughs> All right. So listen, I was going to wait till we got further into the into the interview to ask this, but I'm just going to go for it. I want to talk about Leo. I want to talk about it for a second because look, Ward said, we primarily have done basketball and we hear a lot about the culture of Indiana and Archie trying to create a culture. And we knew what the culture of Indiana basketball was under coach Bob Knight. We knew what that was. Indiana football largely has not had a true culture. And one of the most amazing things you have done besides wins and, and bowl games and things like that is you have absolutely created an identity and a culture for Indiana. Where did Leo start? Is it something you coined when you got to Indiana or is it just kind of the culmination of a lifetime of building this culture? Yeah, I, I would say it's more of a culmination of a lifetime. Um, I used the principle of it and actually used the phrase when I was the coach at Ben Davis. And uh, I, I just feel like that over time, what I learned, if you want to have a special football team, um, those groups of, of young men that do something that's really, really powerful and uh, awesome on the field and, and special on the field is the group of guys that truly love each other. They cared about each other. Uh, the coaches cared about the players. The coaches uh, truly had invested in their lives and tried to help them become better men. And, and I think when the players know that, when they know that you love them more as a person than as a player and that you're not trying to use them to, to, to get something out of them, like winning games so I can get a better job or whatever, um, that often sometimes happens and it's, it's a part of the, of the, the process you go through, but when they understand that you truly care about them and you're trying to help them become the man that I believe that they were created to be, it changes everything. And so to me, I kind of tried to find a way to, to kind of coin that. And really I was reading my Bible and it came from John 15, 12. And there's the phrase that says in there, it says, love each other. And uh, I put, L period, E period, O period, and put it on T-shirts. And uh, yeah, use it different places, but I tell you what, it's taken off here more than any place I've ever been. And and it was the very first thing I wrote on the board at our very first meeting when I was defensive coordinator here. And, and I was given the charge by Kevin Wilson when he hired me was to change the culture on that side of the football. And obviously, as we, we all know, the offense at that time was, was, really, was really playing at a high level. And they just come off that 2015 season where they had the best offense in the history of Indiana football. But the defense struggled. And so that was the charge. And so when I went in, and I guarantee you, when I put those three letters on the board and I asked our guys, I said, does anybody know what these three letters stand for? Nobody had a clue. And when I said what they were, I still got a bunch of, you know, laughs. Like, laugh. football, yeah. you know. And, and I did. I said, guys, I'm sure you're thinking, what does love got to do? with football. And I said, it has everything to do with football. And I said, you're all learn in time how special this is. And, and they did. And I'm telling you, they started uh, buying into it. And uh, the, that side of the football, it changed. And it changed the way we played. It changed the way we practice, changed the way you live. And that's the key. It's, it's we're trying to help them become men. 
and, 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 and develop qualities in them. They're going to let them be successful in life. And, and when you know someone cares about you, it's amazing what you'll do and how hard you'll work and how hard you're going to play for each other. Because when it's about you, it's just shallow. I mean, it's, it's, it's good for a moment, but it doesn't last. But when it's about more than just yourself, and so I attach to that Elio phrase within our culture, these other two phrases, and they are, it's not about me, and I don't care who gets the credit. And, and the reason you don't care who gets the credit is because it's not about you, and they go hand in hand. And, and if you think this is about you and you make it about you, it never works. And I tell our team this, and I told our guys this many years ago when I first got here. I said, fellas, said, when the team does well, the individuals get recognized. But when the individual tries to put himself in front of the team and get himself recognized individually, he usually doesn't do well, nor does the team. But when you get it right and you put the team first and you're unselfish and you do things for each other because you love each other and you care about each other, it's amazing how the power of that creates an unbelievable bond on this football team. I'm wondering about how this plays into the unprecedented success you've had recruiting. Is this something you bring to the fore when you're talking to recruits? And are the qualities you're looking at of the young men you're bringing in already reflecting, you know, an upbringing or an idea of it not being about them? Or is that something it's more once they get there and they become immersed in the culture that they they buy in? I tell you what, it's it's one of the very first things they'll hear me say when I first talk to them on the phone. So they're going to hear it right away. Hmm. And a lot of times they'll ask me, hey, what's what's LEO stand for? You know, sometimes they call it Leo. You know, I say, well, it's, it's LEO. So it stands for love each other. And I go through and explain what it means. And I'm telling you, here's what I do too. I say, okay, you tell me in the course of usually in the first couple of conversations, I'll ask them, what are the three most important things in your life? And because I want to know what they value. Because that, to me, goes along with trying to find guys that fit with us. And when you find guys that care about their families, they care about the people around them, they care about people, because I always talk about, hey, we got beautiful facilities in Indiana. We're doing a great job of upgrading those. But I said, you know what? This is not about facilities. It's always about people. But people are about relationships. And so, to me, if someone cares about that, and that's important to them, and important to their family, then LEO will resonate with them. Because when you think about love, what do you think about? You think about your family. You think about people that are close to you. You think about people that you love being around and have impacted your life. Okay. It's people that do that. It's not things. It's not objects. It's not, you know, trophies or, you know, this accomplishment or that kind of, it's people. And so I start talking about those things. So when I find out what they value and what their families value, then you get a connection. And I'm telling you, I do think it's made a difference in recruiting because we're attracting a certain young man that cares about those things. And when you align yourself with people that, that are the things that you care about, they care about, man, that's a good fit now. And so, cause that motivates people and the things that you, when you find out what they value, what they care about, that's how you, that's how I motivate them. So I write all these things down. And once I get in here, we talk about this stuff all the time because that to me, it helps me because I'm trying to help them realize and fulfill the dreams that they've got in their heart you know and and it's all about and i say this a lot too it's about coaching from the heart to the heart it's connection it's people it's relationships and and i spend a lot of time with our players and i and i i want to be the head coach that maybe the that spends more time with their players than any other head coach in the country and and that's hard to do because there's so many guys there's 120 plus guys on our team but you can't forget the fact it's a people business it's a people <clears throat> organization and that it has to be at the forefront and that comes out in recruiting and when you talk to our recruits and you talk to the families these are the things that stick out 
they love the atmosphere, the family focus. You know, sometimes it, it, it bleeds into their faith. We talk about that. We're not shy about that at all. I think I might have clicked off here. Am I, you guys, did you lose yeah, me? That's okay. No, we okay. still can hear you. Awesome, good. Are and you so, are you having to hold that phone the whole time? We got to get you a book to prop that thing against. Well, or I usually do, and I usually <laughs> do it off my my uh, um, my computer. But I tell you what, if you give me two seconds here, let me prop it up here. All my, right, yeah, sure. Take your time. Take your time. No, man. I, look, I'm all ready to suit up and go play for you. <laughs> I, I will suck. I will suck, and I'll hurt the team. But I'll love everybody on that field. Where's the wall? We're ready to run through it. There you go, man. How's that? There we go. Good for you. Yeah, 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 yeah. And my, my, my thumb already fell asleep. So yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, I got to ask you this, though, because, look, you're in a high-pressure situation, and the pressure amps up every year you're there, and it amps up with the big deal and the extension you signed, all that. You're in a pressure-filled situation. You have to get the best possible players that you can get to play for Indiana, and not all of them. Not every 18-year-old kid out there buys in to – it's not about me. Yeah. We got, you know, I mean, there's a lot of kids who are about me first. That's right. And in the world of Instagram and Twitter and Snapchat and TikTok and being famous for just being famous because you got a certain number of likes. Have you ever recruited a kid or seen film on a kid where you're like, this kid can play. We need him. We got a chance of getting him. And then you talk to him and you realize he doesn't buy in and you've walked away from him. Well, absolutely. Because it's about fit. And, and I think that, like, for instance, when I start talking and, and I ask these young men about, you know, what are they looking for in a school and, and then talk about the things that they value, and they start talking about, all they talk about themselves, you know, mm -hmm. then that's a pretty, pretty strong indicator that it is all about them. And, and so as you get to know them, if that doesn't change and, and if that's totally who they are, then and I've, I've come to the conclusion that, that kids don't just completely change once they come to college. And that's why it's our job as coaches is to do our homework. And to, to get to know high school coaches so well that they tell us the truth. Because here's the reality. Mm -hmm. They're always going to make a kid sound like he's, you know, the, the guy that you need to take. Okay. Yeah. But when you really know them and they know you and they trust you, they're going to tell you the absolute truth. Because eventually his character is going to reveal itself in the four years he's with us or five years he's with us. And so, yes, I feel like that that's when we talk about fit. We've got to find guys. Now, I get it. And I understand that we all have egos. We all want to be successful. We all want to, you know, I, I want kids that want to play in the NFL. You know, right. I want kids that want to be great. And so that's not what I'm talking about. But it's about training them and finding guys that care about that. Because to me, I don't care where you're at in this country, okay? You can't win football games with a selfish football team. So you can't. You know, it's a team sport. I mean, we have 125 players on our team. We play with 11 on offense, 11 on defense. Special teams involves the whole team. You're going to play 50, 60 guys in a game. That's a ton of guys that you're relying on to win a football game. And the bottom line is, is that, you know, yeah, we all want to be sick. But once again, when the individual buys into the team and the team does well, who gets recognized? You, the individual. So you're going to benefit. And you're going to have a chance to create a great opportunity for yourself in the future as an NFL player, potentially, if – you're good enough all right but the bottom line is you gain so many awesome things by being a part of this program and by being a part of everything that you're learning here because that's why we're making it not about just football and i think that's a powerful thing because here's the reality you may get injured okay football is an amazing game but it will end it will end for you it'll end for me it'll end for everybody that's played the game eventually it will end and 
I want to make sure that these families that send their sons here and, and believe in us, that they understand, yeah, winning's important, but I believe winning's a byproduct of doing things right. When you do things right, you're going to win, okay? I think that when you get the heart right, you get the relationships right, and you get the young man right, and he's living right, and doing things the right way, and going to class, and doing things supposed to be doing, he's going to need his degree, he's going to become a great man in the process, he's going to benefit. I learned this a long time ago from Dick Dolan. He told us this quote, never forgot it. It's not what you get for playing, it's what you become because you play. And I've never forgot that. It's mm. what you become because you play this great game, and that's the true benefit of being a football player. And coming to Indiana and being a part of this and buying into everything that we're asking you to do. And, yeah, it's tough. It's hard. It's, we demand a lot of these guys. But when you get the right guys that have the truly bought in, all in mindset to both LEO and to this culture and to this football team, sky's the limit for Indiana football. Well, and with academics, too, you've had historical success with the number of academic uh, recognition your players have gotten. And I do wonder, you're sitting there talking about 125 college guys which yeah. i was one once and i think even if you had me one-on-one -on -one, it would have been a struggle to keep me on track so when you're running an operation you're the ceo of a huge organization of wild young men how how is it that you are able to organize yourself first then your staff to make sure that not only is everybody bought in on the culture and loving each other, but doing what they need to do to be ready on Saturdays and get to class. Just to me, who can't really keep track of my own schedule on a given day, I'm like, how, how do you approach that? How do you keep the management and organization that you need to have a successful program on and off the field? Well, you know, it starts with having a great staff, you know, and I'm only as good as the guys around me. And, and I've learned that a long time ago and, and been blessed to work for some, for some great head coaches. And, and they taught me that. And so, uh, you know, finding the right men to help us and, and women that are part of this whole organization. We have a whole bunch of people that, that help us do what we do in recruiting and, 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 and the whole off the field component and obviously on the field with our coaches that, that we have in each position. And we call it 11 strong. So we have 11 position groups. You have five on offense, five on defense, and then you have your specialists that are your kickers, holders, long snappers, punters, those guys that make up your, your specialists. And so those 11 positions, that's 11 strong. And that's about accountability within those groups, accountability to, to, to each other and accountability to the individual that is over that group. So each guy has a mission statement for their, their position group and that they are in charge of. And so we talk about a lot about being 11 strong uh, as, as an organization, as a program. That's how we organize ourselves. That's everything we do about from the classroom and making sure guys are, are uh, doing what they're supposed to be doing. So I tell this, I give our coaches one charge, capture the hearts and minds of your players. Okay. Capture their hearts and their minds. And that's all part of them going to class. We talk about being a pro all the time. What does that mean? Being where you're supposed to be on time with your books, your tutoring appointments, everything you're supposed to do academically, Everything you're supposed to be say, don't be on lists. That means you don't get up and show up and say that, hey, this guy didn't do this, or this guy, hey, this is a list of guys that, that missed this. Or that. Don't show up on lists, okay? And if you do, there's going to be accountability. we got a big old stadium out here that's got a <laughs> lot of steps on it. Right? And I'm telling you, it is one of the most painful things you can do is to run the stadiums, okay? Mm. It's a great motivator to go to class when you have to go run those for being late, 
or not showing up. So going to class, we don't really have issues with that. We really don't. And so, but what's it? It's accountability. And how do you get that? Being consistent. You know, guy doesn't do what he's supposed to do. There's accountability. There are consequences. It's life. It's called training them to be disciplined. And we're doing them no favors by not teaching them that. But that's how you develop a football team. That's how you get a disciplined football team. And we had to – I felt like we weren't really good at that when I first got it. I didn't think that was one of our strengths. There were too many guys, guys late for that. It was just a – it wasn't the way it needed to be. And it's taking some time to get it right. And so, to me, now that's the expectation. And so, that's where you build a culture. That's where you build you know, the organization. And, and I got to be – I'm the leader of it. I got to be very – I got to be highly organized in every area getting up early, taking care of myself, taking care of ourselves as coaches, you know, so we have the energy to coach at the level we have to coach at. And, you know, capture hearts and minds of your players, man, you're responsible for those guys, their behavior, all this. And that's a, it's a heavy burden because these are young kids that sometimes do dumb stuff, you know, <laughs> that, that drives all of us crazy. And we've all been there. We've all had to learn. But we all need somebody to love us enough, care about us enough to hold us accountable. Look, I, I love this. And I want to get into – because, look – the, what fans get of you is typically press conferences, right? Like yeah. that's, if we were really going to get a piece of you, but most of that you're breaking down game, you know, and I don't know what the hell's going on when you're talking about that stuff. I mean, it's just beyond me. I just want to know if we won or lost, you know, and I watch the games, but, but I want to know about you a little bit. So you were talking about your day. Walk us through a normal day for you. Like you get up in the morning, what's your breakfast? What are you eating for breakfast? Are you a cereal guy, an oatmeal guy? What's going on there? Well, you know what? I, I am a, um, granola bar guy okay okay fruit and granola bars for breakfast i don't eat a heavy breakfast and i'm an early morning workout guy so i'm a three mile every day guy okay now i used to be i ran three miles every day and and that's that's been my deal um i was a wrestler we used to run a ton for wrestling for weight loss and conditioning and all that kind of stuff so ever since college i've always been a runner well i just turned 50 this past spring you know <laughs> age is relative right the knees start to go <laughs> no doubt. And so, but you know, over time, so it's really kind of taking this toll on my knees and ankles and everything. So now I'm really an elliptical guy. So this yeah. past pandemic, I really have been, so I'm, my three miles is now on the elliptical. So I do that and I do, I'm a pull-ups guy. I love, I love lifting, but I don't lift a bunch of free weights and I don't have time for that. So I'm, I'm pull-up guy. So I do my pull-ups, get my run in. And, and so that's how I start my day. And then I got to get, in, I got to get, I got to quiet. I got to get in God's word. That's me. That's what I do. That's yep. where I clear my mind. That's where I get myself straight. That's where I get my, my priorities from and everything I want to do. That's my, my rock and my foundation. So I get my mind in there. I get my day started off right with that. And then based on what time of the year it is, it's, it's bam, we're going. And it, right now, you know, it's crazy. We're used to being in full game practice mode and all that. And now we're in a little bit different mode, but we're, you know, we're going through all that. And we'll kind of go through maybe the schedule here in a little bit, but, but so whatever it is, whatever time of year it is, it's just, yeah. and it's recruiting is, is woven into that nonstop. And it has to be. I mean, it's nonstop. And when, when at the end of the day, and I imagine your days are long, but when it's time to put football aside for a minute, you're home with the family, you're there with your wife, what are you doing to relax? Are you a Netflix guy? Are you a book guy? Like, what's going on to, to just get you away from football? Well, I'm not a Netflix guy. So okay. um, I, I would say books, you know. Um, my, my two biggest hobbies away from, from yeah. coaching are exercise and reading. And, uh, and then the third would just be my, and my wife and I, we do a lot of book reads together. Uh, oh, that's that's nice. been good for us. That's a great way for us to connect. It's a great way for us to talk. 
Yeah. You know, um, you know, you had it is you come home with your wife and they, they want to hear about everything and you really are kind of tired of talking, you know, so that whole thing. Tell me about it. Tom, I'm divorced. Yeah. So I know all about it, man. It work <laughs> out for me, but I get it. I get it. I get it. I should have done the book club. If I did the yeah. book club with my wife, it would have been a different story. Well, I'm telling you, because, you know, our jobs are crazy and I'm gone a lot and, and we travel a lot. And, yeah. and we're out of season, we're recruiting. And so it's 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 very challenging. But but she's on board and she's awesome. And so Tracy's my wife. And so but we that's kind of how we connect. And so it really helps us a lot. And we do that together in the evenings as far as just at that time we have there but there's recruiting calls all at home at night and that's kind of part of the deal too but that those are the two things that give me a, a stress release you know and I, I, I say this all the time I say this to recruits I say it to our team I, they probably they're probably sick of me saying it to the team but we're a product of the books we read the music we listen to and who we hang out with it's what you fill your mind with and who you associate with that's who, that's who you become that's how you think and act and talk. That's just how we are. That's how we're wired as humans. And so, you know, it's just trying to fill my mind with the right thing. Like I said, start my day that way and then do it at night that way. And then that allows me to kind of be able to unwind. And, you know, I'll, uh, that's kind of, that's kind of and then the physical part, you know, I got to stay in good shape and, and so yeah. I can coach with a bunch of energy. Clearly that is not an issue. You're, you're going strong in the energy department. I am curious though, what, what music are you listening to? Or is that something more you're, you're telling your players to inform them? No, it, well, there's no question. I just think it matters. And so I'm, I'm, a, I'm a contemporary Christian music guy, you know? So that, that's what I listen to. That's, if you look at my, my playlist off my iPad and, or my iPhone and everything, it's all, you know, it's Chris Tomlin and, and that whole crew of guys that I love to listen to. And there's a lot of praise and worship. And, and that, that's, that's just me. That's what I love. And that's what I want to fill my mind with. And, and uh, um, just, uh, I think it's important. And so I challenge our guys. We had this conversation at a team meeting yesterday about uh music choices and 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 the the words in those music just the, the stuff you fill your mind with you know we're all over them here about the music that's playing in the weight room and and we control all that and even in the locker room and just to trying to make sure and then you gotta balance that i, I want them to have their own style of stuff right. and that I, i'm not putting my style i'm not my playlists aren't aren't playing in the weight room you're not pumping it through the locker room pregame no <laughs> no i'm not we let them we let them pick that but i but i do i i want to make sure i said that I don't want any, I don't want any, the F word, the N word or the B word. I don't want any of that, you know? And so we got to, that can be a challenge in today's, in today's music. So we got to get the edited versions of things. And I tell our guys that we really, but I, but I, I care about that stuff. I care about what, what they, you know, I just believe that, that, uh, you know, I wouldn't say it if I didn't think it was true. Yeah. And I challenge them to think about what they're watching and, and filling their minds with, you know, and because I just feel like that that's, that uh, um, is a powerful thing. So we usually do this at the end, but since we're on it, so when you want to, you've been in Bloomington four years now. When you mm -hmm. and the wife want to go out for a bite to eat, what's your favorite restaurant? Well, we, we go to Malibu a lot. Yeah. And I really do. And, and we use them a lot with our different activities and, you know, Mother Bear's Pizza. I yes. mean, you can't go wrong with that. I'm a pizza guy now. I, you know, yeah. I, I actually, like I said, I exercise a ton, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I'm the healthiest eater in the world. <laughs> I love but I love good old pizza. You know, I'm a Mountain Dew guy. You know, those things aren't probably the best things, but is Mother Bear's is Mother Bear's your favorite pizza in Bloomington? It probably is. You yeah. know, Avery's is real good too. But I, I, you know, Mother Bear's is really, really good. And what about Zagreb's? You ever hit up Zagreb's? Oh yeah. yeah, I mean, like crazy. Their steak is off the charts. You know, mm, totally. Yeah. There, mm. There's so many good restaurants in Bloomington. It's yeah, it's great. great yeah, I place. agree. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. We we'll be there. We'll be there for three days, and we'll hit like twenty four of them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've told this story. The last time Ward and I went to Bloomington together for a weekend, 
I, I go on a diet before I go to Bloomington. Oh, yeah. I, I diet hard for like six weeks and I lose a bunch of weight. The last time I went to Bloomington, I got there on Thursday night. I came home on Sunday night. I gained 22 pounds <laughs> in one weekend. Not, That's not, not a joke. You go to Buffalo. <laughs> a lot of Buffaloes. I tell you what, man, you're not going to find that. Just like I said, I could go on and on. I don't want to meet people out, but man, they're just, you're right. So many good places. So thus, I got to run three miles a day. I hear you. All right, let's get in the time machine. We love to get to know Tom Allen before he came into our lives. Newcastle, Indiana. You're growing up there. We all know there's a crazy rich basketball history in Newcastle. How much did you get caught up in that? Or how much were you solely focused in with your dad as the football coach there and you and your football and wrestling? Give us, give us a glimpse into your childhood and the sports you played in and watched. Okay, well, first of all, so we moved to Newcastle in 1978. I was eight years old. Okay. And we, my dad was the head coach at Benton Central which was a rural school in northern part, just north of Lafayette. And so we moved to Newcastle. I was in the third grade my first year there. And so started, you know, I was play, played everything. You know, I'm playing, you know, basketball when you're a kid at that age and, and playing football and baseball and everything. Well, Steve Alford uh, was – his dad was head football coach at Newcastle – or head basketball coach at Newcastle. And so he's five years older than me. So when I was in the seventh grade, he was a senior. So, and I used to go to every basketball game. I, I love basketball. So how can you not love basketball being born in this state, right? Yeah. And so even though I became a wrestler and all that stuff, and I was really blessed to have a lot of success in that sport, but bottom line was I really like basketball. And so I'm literally sitting there at every game. I go to every single game. Place is sold out his senior year. Every single game is, is packed. Place seats, what, 10,000 people at Newcastle's yeah. gym. And I'm sitting there keeping score because the whole deal was how many points are you going to score, you know, and <laughs> never miss it. Hardly, I don't think you ever miss, never miss free throw, right. you know, like 90 some percent in high school. And so, but no, we had a little thing where you keep track and you didn't have a three corner back then. Right. So you're just keep track of his points. I mean, he's averaging 37 some points a game. That's average, you know, so he, I was there when he scored, you know, the, the 54, I think against broad ripple and in, in the semi or the, in the semi state, correct, you know, and just, you know, James Blackman, he scored 49. James Blackman scored 48. You know, Troy Lewis was it was playing at Anderson High School, you know, all in the same conference, playing against each other. All those. So I love Indiana basketball. Uh, and Newcastle is known for Kent Benson's from my hometown. And oh, yes. we're really known for basketball, you know, coming from, from Newcastle, you know. So, but I was a wrestler and, uh, you know, playing football growing up. I love being raised there. You know, it's not a very big town. Everybody knows everybody. And a lot of awesome people in Newcastle, you know, just went on to, you know, Coach Peck and Paul was my high school wrestling coach. Had a great, great uh, chance to be, a, you know, a very successful career there in that sport and playing football through the shot and discus as well. And, and just got inducted in the Hall of Fame there um, not that many years ago. Actually, when I came back to be the D.C. was the year I got inducted in that nice. uh, for Newcastle Athletics. And, and so I was just really blessed to be a part of a neat community and, you know, playing for my dad. My brother and I played together. When I was a sophomore, starting on the varsity, he was a, a senior wide receiver. I played linebacker and, and running back in high school. And so just uh, just loved being a part of it. Sports is a huge part of our lives and our church. My parents still go to the same church they've gone to ever since we, we moved there. And and just the people, the friends, the, the connections there. So, you know, just being raised in that town and, and playing sports and, and loving it. And, and just uh, went from there on to college and, 
and ended up playing two sports there, you know, football and wrestling. So wrestled actually for Ben Peterson, gold and silver medalist. It was a big draw for me to go to that college, and it had a spiritual uh, component to it too, which was another huge factor. But but uh, played uh, football for a man named Terry Price. It's a, a wonderful leader of men and really drew me into the coaching profession of using it as a ministry to, to change lives and, and to really that whole – the idea of coaching from the heart to the heart was really established by watching those guys, watching my dad, watching Coach Price, my head football coach in college, Ben Peterson, my head wrestling coach in college. Just all those guys that just kind of got it. They understood what um, their role was in mentoring young men through this through the sports that they coach, and, and what a powerful influence that a coach can have on your life. And I saw it firsthand with my dad, so that's what really drew me into the profession. I believe. A quick follow up. Um... Eric and I were discussing this last night, and, and I grew up in Peru, Indiana. I know where it is, yeah. Not quite as rich a history as, as uh, Newcastle in basketball, but a good one. But I was telling Eric, you know, and I don't know if it's a small town thing or what, but growing up uh, not big enough, strong enough to play varsity high school basketball or f- football, I attended every one of both of those games. And of course, Indiana high school basketball has this huge reputation for being bonkers, but that our football games on Friday night, everybody was there too. And everybody was going crazy at those games. So was Newcastle the same way. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's, you know, it's one of those, you know, it's um, a town where you got one local newspaper for one school. There's, there's County schools that surrounded us, but Newcastle was the show in that town. And, and, you know, you got to figure that the, the town's 20,000 people and the gym seats 10,000, you know, so <laughs> that, just put that in perspective. And, and they support us in football. And and yeah, absolutely. My, my freshman year there, we had a really great football team. I actually, my dad was assistant at that time. Mark Shriffers was the head coach and uh, had a, one of the best teams that Newcastle's ever had that year and, and went to the playoffs and, and did a great job and had a bunch of really good players. And so just uh, to me, just really a chance to be a part of that kind of community that kind of community support, even in wrestling. I mean, they've had a lot of success. I was a state finalist in wrestling, and, and uh, it's a really strong wrestling tradition. People may not know that about Newcastle. Coach Peck and Paul is the winningest uh, head coach in the history of the Indiana high school wrestling. You know, he's my, wow. my coach. And so just uh, a really neat – you know, we hosted the semi-state every year in our, the big old gym that we had in, in wrestling and actually hosted the state finals one year when Marcus Square Arena wasn't available. So, but that was the kind of facility we had, which is pretty unique to have that there. And just so much support. Athletics is a big part of the community and, and has always been and, and will continue to be. So I just, it's just, it's just a neat experience to be raised in that kind of a town. For sure. Yeah. What kind of player were you, uh, football and uh, an athlete as a wrestler? I imagine that you were a guy whose emotion and passion poured out of every single ounce of you is that yeah is that I was play? very intense yeah I was not a very vocal guy in terms of I didn't like talk a lot like I didn't talk trash at all that just wasn't me I wasn't raised that way my dad was basically shut your mouth and play your tail <laughs> off you know that was what I was that was what I was told to do and so very physical uh very intense very fiery internally uh I was I wanted to be I, I, I literally I wanted to graduate from it from Newcastle and I wanted them to say that this kid was the hardest worker that's ever played there. That's what I wanted. And that was kind of what was ingrained in me. My dad was that way. And I wanted to play hard. I wanted to train hard. I wanted to just be the toughest and most, the hardest working kid on that team. And that's what I wanted to do. And so I was fortunate to have some good success and all the different things that I was able to do. So, but I wasn't some, you know, gifted, 
you know, right. better athlete than the guys I'm playing against. You know, I was six foot, 205 pounds as a senior, you know, so not pretty average size, you know, so, but uh, wasn't this big imposing guy, but I, but I just wanted to work extremely hard and be, you know, a great teammate, a great leader. I was captain of all the sports I was on and, and, you know, the president of our FCA of our school and president of our Bible club, just wanted to be a leader and do things the right way and was blessed to be a, a good student. So I was just, those things were instilled in me from my family. And because of how you played and because you knew you had to outwork everybody to get every ounce of talent that you could muster, yeah. when you are now coaching kids, and, and we're not done with your backstory, but I just want to take a little detour. When you're coaching kids now that you see that have just insane talent, and you've already had plenty of players through Indiana that have mm -hmm. insane natural talent, when you see them not working as hard as you know they can work, does it drive you insane? Drives me absolutely crazy to see – that kind of talent wasted, you know? Right. And so you just got, yeah, and that's part of motivation. That's part of, you know, when you connect with them and they understand, you understand what they care about and what they want, what their goals are. And, and you, you say, okay, let's work backwards now. This is what you tell me you want now. Let's, let's make sure that my lifestyle and my daily habits are matching up with what my future goals are. And so, but yeah, it's very frustrating to see a kid that's got all this talent and he doesn't maximize it. And unfortunately that's, uh, you know, we've seen him, you know, we've, They've been raised with them. We've seen them play. We've been around them. And unfortunately, sometimes we coach them. But, but at the same time, that's our job. we got to maximize everything that they got inside of them to make them special. I'm sure those stadium steps are a good motivator. Yeah, that's oh, right. there's no doubt. It's a <laughs> tremendous motivator. So um, you, you go to college, you wrestle, uh, play football. You bring up a couple more mentors along the way. You've had these in high school and now, now in college. And when did you know that you wanted – to enter into the coaching profession. And then as you do, it seems like such a, a carousel, such a whirlwind uh, assistant coach's life is always bouncing around the country. When did you decide that was the life you were going to enter into and how did you enter into it? Well, first of all, I went to college to major in business. Okay. I wanted to be an accountant, which I know sounds a little crazy. What? Um, yes. I'm telling you, I love Yes. I if, you, if you gave me a thousand jobs that I would <laughs> guess for Tom Allen, accountant would be 1,001. I mean, what in the world? Okay. Yeah. I love numbers. I love math. And mm. so I literally um, went to school to study that. Was going to be a, I wanted to be a CPA. Okay. I still, I, I did my taxes. I love doing taxes. So I did them like until I got to where my, <laughs> my income was a little bit complicated. Yeah. I was going to say. I did it myself. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm not. Although, wait a minute. I got to say, Tom, I mean, if you want to have real fun, do your taxes now. I mean, yeah. now there's a lot of numbers on those sheets. There's no question. And so <laughs> it, it, the crazy thing is now that I, you know, I, I am who I am and I've become in this career, I'm like, I, I would have been a caged tiger as an accountant. Yeah. I, I, there's no way I could have lived that. There's just no way. So God knew. So I lived after my freshman year, I switched from business to business education. And so instead of being an accountant, I, I taught accounting for all those years I was in a high school teacher. And I taught computers and, and business management, business law. So I taught business classes and coach football and coach track and coach wrestling. And so when I first started, so I was actually the head wrestling coach and assistant football coach my first year at a school called Temple Heights in Florida. So 
once I felt that, that I was called into coaching, I do, I felt like it was a calling for me. It was just, my heart told me this was the way I was going to impact lives. This is how I was going to really make a difference in kids' lives. And so I went the whole teaching coaching route because I saw what my dad, the impact that he had. So then I start coaching high school football. I leave, my wife and I met in college it was in Wisconsin, Maranatha's in Wisconsin. And we went, we got married right after we graduated. And our first teaching and coaching job was together in a school, a little small school in Tampa, Florida called Temple Heights uh, Christian School. I became the head football coach in year two. She was the head volleyball coach and assistant softball coach. She played both sports in college as well. And so we're coaching, just coaching kids, loving it. We're young. I'm the second, in my second year, I'm the youngest head coach in the entire state of Florida. At 23 years old, I'm the head coach at Temple Heights. And how about this? So by this, by my year three, which is my second year as the head coach, so I took over as interim halfway through the year two. We had, they had made the playoffs in 17 years. Okay. Simple. I hadn't had a winning season in like 12 years. Okay. And so we finished that first year where I was interim head coach and took over. I made these shirts up that said, dare to believe 1994 state playoffs. You had to qualify for the playoffs in the state of Florida. And it was, we were in a tough league and some good teams and there was a lot of good players in that state. And so, but I believed in that football team. And so we just, then we went to work. Well, even my boss, who was the AD, was like, Coach, are you sure that was a good idea to put that on the T-shirt? <laughs> He's like, that's pretty – we haven't done this in a long, long time. I said, no, I believe in it, and I want these kids. So it's about this belief. I believe. I believe they could do it. So I put on there, dare to believe. I still got a copy of one in my house. Oh, dare awesome. to believe, 1994 playoffs, state playoffs, and, and we absolutely accomplished that goal. Made the playoffs for the first time in 17 years. And then that's when I got the job to be the defensive coordinator at Armwood High School. And how about this? Armwood High School had never made the playoffs before. All right. I go there. They were four and six years before we got there. And I became the DC there. Year one, we finished eight and two. Best record they'd ever had. Okay. Year two, we finished nine and one regular season, make the playoffs for the first time ever. And that program has taken off. And then I came back home to Indiana to start coaching high school ball in Indiana. So that's just been a pattern of, of just creating belief. And, and I, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. Yeah, right. I was, I, was, I, was coach, I was 23 years old. Good grief. I mean, I, all I did was I got the kids to believe and play hard. You're, you're and, like four years, five years older than these kids. I, I mean, know. Like, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and it's funny because now those kids are grown up. They're like, yeah. coach, I didn't realize how young you were when you were our coach. <laughs> yeah, now they're yeah, your same age. You're two years older than we were. Yeah, you now know? like when you talk to a kid that's 47 years old and you're 50, it's like you're the same yeah. thing. That's exactly <laughs> right. I got to ask, do you remember at Temple, um, at Temple Heights, do you remember what your salary was? What your starting salary oh, was? Oh, yeah, $15,000. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't make anything. Yeah, you, you just know? make it work though, right? But I was so happy. We were so, uh, we loved it though. You know what? Yeah. My wife was working there. We didn't even... You know, we, we paid the bills. We, yeah, we had one car we shared, you know, and we drove to the same place to work every day and didn't have any kids. And, man, we just, our life was the kids there. There's no doubt so about it. let's talk about coming back home to Indiana. Yeah. When that opportunity came knocking, how special was that? Or are you able to take a step back when that's happening to go, this is really cool, I'm going home? Or are you just, like Ward said, you're on that carousel, you're on that treadmill or that elliptical that's going, and it's just the next step. What was that like for you? Well, I tell you what, it, it was special. I, I'll never forget this. I called my dad as soon as I had agreed to, 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 to Kevin Wilson, I was going to come to Indiana to be the defensive coordinator. I called my dad and I said, Dad, first thing I said, I said, Dad, I'm coming home. And he just, he just started crying. 
Yeah, he was so happy, you know. So it was it was awesome. I tell you what, and I and I, and I knew it was a hard job. I knew. I mean, once that once that emotion wears off, now we got to start coaching ball. And we got to start trying to win games in this conference. But I'm telling you, it was a very special special time. I, I never dreamed I would end up being a head coach here, but but at that point, just to come home as a DC, it was ten years. So we left. Ben Davis High School. Oh, yeah, because I was actually talking about yeah. when you went to Ben Davis. Was it special to go back to Indiana, to just the state of Indiana when you were doing Ben Davis? Because that was a nice Because it was Marion. Marion. I went to Marion for one year. year. Right. Okay, and so yeah. how about this? So we go to Marion, all right? They Let me guess. You losing, turned them around. They had, well, we had a losing season the year before I got there. Yep. And now Coach Service is a great coach, and so I was fortunate to be underneath him. And he was, a, he was the one who my dad, he brought us to Newcastle, okay? And when he oh, okay. left to go to Marion – my dad became the head coach of Newcastle. Uh, okay. It. And so, so we're real close with, and Matt surface, his son played here at Indiana and was a linebacker, was a captain here for the Hoosiers. And so for coach Mallory. And so I went right from Florida to Marion. but even if the fact that we went home then we didn't, we, our youngest or actually now our oldest daughter, Hannah was born in Tampa, Florida, our last year there. And so then I decided, you know, I just wanted to raise my family closer to home. And so Coach Surface hired me as his defensive coordinator. And that year, I was only there for one year. We went undefeated in that season, okay, 10-0, regular season. And we're ranked seventh in the state of Indiana. And we, we turned the defense around there and got the kids playing at a high level. And, and that's when that got Coach Dullahan's attention. And he hired me as his defensive coordinator at Ben Davis. And he's a legend. He's a legend. He's a legend. He is. To to let people know, this is one of the greatest high school football coaches of all time, Ben Davis. You know, if you grow up in the state of Indiana, there is no high school program above that. How did that come about? And it seems like it was all happening so fast. There's no question. I was only 28 years old when Coach Dolan hired me, you know, to Ben Davis. So I wasn't uh, that old at that point. Uh, but here's the thing that's interesting. So I, you know, he has his football camps. The Bishop Dolan camps were, were the largest skills camp in the country. Okay. And so he held them also in Florida. So not just mm. in Indiana, Illinois, he held them in Florida. That's actually where I met him. Even though I knew who he was, my dad coached against him when he was, when they were both younger, when he was at Chittard and my dad was at Benton Central. But, but I didn't really know Coach Dolan as far as he didn't know who I was. So I worked his camp the five, the four of the five years that I coached in Florida as a high school coach. And that's where he saw me coach working his camp. That was really the connection for him to hire me. And so he knew I coached down there. He knew the success that we'd had and things that we had done. And he had a lot of respect for my dad. And, and so that was really the connection. So, but I had to go and interview. So when he interviewed me, I had to interview. Matter of fact, they had just gotten beaten the year before by North Central. So I had to do a game plan to defend North Central's offense Oh. And that, that's how I interviewed with Dick Dolahan. And so that's cool. we had several guys that he interviewed. And so, and I got the job. And, and so it was an amazing opportunity. And I will say this though, and this is very, very genuinely true. Coach Surface, I owed a lot to him. He gave me a chance to come back to home to Indiana. Um, I, I said, I'd known him since I was a boy. He hired me there. I lived with his family. The hardest thing I had to do was walk in his office and tell him I was leaving yeah. to go to bed. I'm just telling you, that was a very difficult decision for me to have to say. I was, but I, I knew in my heart it was an opportunity I, I couldn't turn down. Because I'm going to tell you this, you know, I was there for nine years. And every single head coach that I coached for in college, I met when I was coaching at Ben Davis. They all came mm. through to recruit. 
And mm-hmm. obviously we had a chance to win three state championships when I was there and just be a part of a tremendous program, learn from him for the first six years and then take over as head coach my last three years there. So it ended up being an amazing opportunity, but I'm telling you, I will always be indebted to Coach Surface. He's a close friend to this day. That hurt me to have to go tell him I was leaving him. And he's a great man, and he's a great person, a great coach. And so, but that was hard. You know, I'm, I'm, I care about people, and I, and I, I don't want to hurt people. And so, but he, but he understood. Uh, he was disappointed for sure. But uh, he, uh, he's been supportive and super ever since. But so I go to Ben Davis and. And man, it just was an unbelievable experience. And and they, they'd obviously had success. There's no question. But they hadn't won the state championship in several years. They were kind of in. They were dealing with this and that. And Coach Surf, Coach Dolhan would tell you, you know, it was there's, uh, you know, we, we were able to create some change there on that side of the football and, and really take it to another level. And we won. There was a, the first three of the first four years I was there. We went on a streak and won three out of four state championships and and just played at a super high level and uh really really excited about the way the kids respond there but obviously coach Delahan established that place and and they were doing some awesome things and so uh I was just blessed to be part of it what did you learn from him in that time that is still with you that you recall even now as a coach and you put into your own teams well Two key things that stick out to me. Number one, his organization. He ran that program like a college program. So I really felt like leaving Ben Davis as the head coach once I was there for nine years and, like I said, six years under him and three years running it, man, it was run like a college program. You had the number of people that you had. We had 15 paid coaches on our varsity, on our on our staff. I mean, that's a big old – you're talking from ninth grade to, to 12th grade of 15 full-time, not just part – I'm talking about full-time guys that – that obviously they did other things, but they were paid coaches, not volunteers, in that program from ninth grade to twelfth grade. The number of people you're you're in charge of from kindergarten through twelfth grade, it's hundreds and hundreds of players, coaches, organizing all that. Uh, tremendous responsibility, tremendous opportunity. So organization, the way he ran things. And I'm gonna tell you this, I was so impressed. We would go through and have success, win a state championship, and the next day it was on to the next team. I mean, it was, he was an absolute machine when it became to, hey, he was no let up. There was, his work ethic was off the charts. And, and I just really felt like it was an unbelievable, tenacious, bulldog mindset towards being great. And th- that year was over. We planned the banquet. We did all the celebration for that stuff. But it was all into the next, to the next, to the next. There was no level. It kind of has a, a, a Bill Belichick kind of a, you know, just consistency and just almost robotic and just the work ethic and just the, the tenacious attention to detail. You know, he, he's he, another phrase that I use all the time that he it's conviction driven leadership is based off a vision of perfection. What he meant by that was he taught me that a long time ago. And I never forgot it. When you know what it's supposed to look like, when you have a picture in your mind of what great defense looks like and you know what this offense is supposed to look like, you will relentlessly attack it until you get it the way it's supposed to look. And that's that conviction-driven leadership that's based on a vision of perfection. And that's why he was so big in hiring former head coaches. You know, I'd been a young head coach before he hired me. He loved that, okay? Being from a state of Florida where football is king and it's year-round, you have spring football, collegiate, he loved that. That's a big reason why I think he hired me, okay? But also, it was that conviction that you have towards what you do. I mean, that guy, he had principles that he believed in, and it never wavered. And I'm telling you, I, I loved the way he ran that. I mean, you, you, as he always would say, 
you know, winning's the byproduct of doing things right. We, we won for a reason there. I had never been around a program that worked any harder, wasn't more, was never more organized in that place. And that, the winning was a byproduct of the way he ran that place and the organizational skills. So to me, those were invaluable years. And the time I spent there really shaped and just catapulted me into college. I, I want to take a second to dig in on something you talked about there, because you mentioned Belichick and you mentioned this oh, kind of role. Oh, I know. Don't I know. bring him up again. I know, once. I know. The, more than no, no, no. We got to get into it. We got to get into it because here's what interests me. Belichick is known for being robotic. I mean, like, you know, uh, to a fault. And the way you described that institution at Ben Davis, just it is run like a machine. The other side, it's like, it feels like it's two sides. Like there's that way. And then there's the emotional side of things. Obviously you are, you, you have been exposed to both, but your self is you're an emotional, passionate guy. How do you, when, when it's LEO and it's about emotion and loving each other, how do you manage that so that emotion doesn't get in the way of also making sure that every attention, every detail is tended to. Because I know from my personal experience, I am at my worst when I'm overly emotional. I miss things. I'm not as clear headed. And, and finding that balance is where success happens. Yes. And, and it does seem like Belichick has gone so far that one way, you know, Bobby Knight, I would say is so much that way also on some level. But then there's like players first coaches. And how do you manage both of those things? Do you see them as different sides of a coin? In some ways, almost, I kind of think of it like, and I even kind of define it to our, but it's like controlled rage. You know, there's just that fiery intensity that has to be there. Because it's just who I am. I'm not, I don't apologize for that. Okay? Yeah. You also have to be under control. It's discipline. And that to me, it's that consistency that you have to have as you just live your life. And so, but I think, the, the fire and the passion comes from within and then the ma maturity of time and experiences where you learn how to control it and you learn how to understand, you know, even like with the officials. I mean, that's a prime <laughs> example during a game. I mean, you can't be a doormat to the official. I mean, they got to understand that, you know, and, and this is a little bit of a pet peeve of mine, but, you know, we're Indiana and I know we haven't had the long-term success that others have had, but we're not going to be, your doormat. You're not going to take advantage yes. of it. You're not going to push us around. You're not going to, you're not, no, it ain't going to happen. And so, but I also want to be under control. So I've had to kind of learn that a little bit, even, even as a coach, you know, I kind of, I was a little more, you know, you can't let it consume you, but you got to understand they got to know I ain't taking this crap. Okay. Because I'm going to defend, I'm going to fight for our players. They've worked way too hard. We worked way too hard. We've earned the right to get some of these calls per se. And yes. so that's just, that's just me being real, but but I think that's but that's part. No, of it. but that's perfect. You know? That's a perfect example. But how do you coach? The, you're you're a grown man. You've yeah. got kids who are not grown men. You are trying to make them grown men. How do you coach them to have that discipline and control that rage? And you know, I almost think of sometimes I thought of Leo as the opposite of the Belichick. Just do your job. But, but what you talked right. about was accountability is so much a part of LEO because yes. to truly love each other means to hold people accountable, right? If I'm, if I'm absolutely, oh, that's the, that to me is the ultimate. And that, that's why I think that's why when, when I said LEO and when people talked about, talked about, they didn't understand what it meant. Right. I understand that. Then people were critical of, and they're like, what the heck, you know? So it's what, but here's the thing to me, when you truly love somebody, I'm going to be harder on you than you could imagine. 
Okay. Yeah. But when I have a relationship with you, I've earned the right to rip your tail yeah. because you know I love you. And I'm mm. telling you, this is what I do. I train them in practice. My goal is I try to break them in practice. I go after certain guys because I'm trying to train them for to having that controlled rage, to play with that passion and intensity, but to have control and not to respond. Because they're going to call you all sorts of stuff. And I'm, it's a it's an ongoing process for a lot of guys. Because I would much rather say, whoa, than go with the guy. I want guys I got to kind of hold back. Yes. They got that fire in them. You know, like WAP. I mean, WAP's an unbelievable guy competitor but man sometimes he gets that it gets out of hand he's got to be reined back in a little bit but i'd much rather have that than having some guys i'm just trying to drag into this whole thing and push into all this stuff because he's got that fire inside of him so it's definitely a balance but that's how they learn to be successful in life because that fire and passion makes them who they are but if it's out of control it'll burn them up right if it's out of control it'll be able to be effective and so to me that's we use practice. We put them under stress. We go, I, like I said, I, I try to, I tell them, this is the phrase I use. I, I got it really from my wrestling background is, is that nothing can break you. And I'm, I'm barking at these guys. Nothing can break you. No environment, no situation, no, what nobody says, no crowd, no nothing unless you allow it to happen. And so I'm big on that. And so I try to get after them. If I can break you, Ohio State's going to break you and Michigan's going to break you and the environment's going to break you or the, the, the rainstorm we got to play is going to break you. Okay. It cannot be that way, but you got to train them for that. It doesn't just happen. And so to me, that's part of building that mental toughness, which right. is a huge part of being successful in sports and in life. And to me, that's the key. Coach, I have to say, I've never, ever, ever been more fired up sitting in front of my computer. Uh, it's, it's, you really it's do have an incredible effect, even through Zoom. It's, it's wonderful. I, I uh, want to take just a little sidestep here, because when you were at, at Ben Davis, this was happening in the state of Indiana. This state that had been known throughout the country, the world, for decades and decades as a basketball state. A guy showed up in Indianapolis named Peyton Manning. Mm -hmm. Not long after that, a defensive-minded coach from Florida came up, Tony Dungy. And I, I just wanted to hear from your perspective, being in Indianapolis, as that's going on, how did that change the appreciation and, and overall the football culture in the state of Indiana, even seeing young kids coming up, dreaming of maybe playing for the Colts just as much as playing basketball for IU. Did you see that, feel that, smell that? Absolutely. I was at Ben Davis the entire time this was going on. I go to Wabash. So my, my, my one year Wabash was the year they won the Super Bowl, you know? Mm -hmm. And so that was the culmination of all that. You know, you got, you got, parents naming their kids Peyton. I mean, there's like a long history of there was a big window of time when a bunch of bunch of boys are named Peyton right now because of it, you know? And so, but they had an unbelievable impact on the, the obviously the city of Indianapolis and the entire state of Indiana. It created a love for football and an excitement about football and kids wanted to play football. And, and that was a great thing. And it kind of came at a time too, when they were just starting to open up uh, the summers for, for high schools where we were able to kind of have a, a, our version of spring football during the right. summer in Indiana. Mm -hmm. And in the past, you couldn't do that at all. I mean, you weren't allowed to do anything, you know, with your team, you know, during that time of the year. And so it was, it made us, you know, at a disadvantage nationally because we didn't spend enough time with our players playing football and the technical part of it and the techniques that you have to have and all that stuff. So all that kind of came in at the same time. And I, there's no question. And so how about this? So I'm in Florida with Tony Dungy. Okay. 
So that's actually where I first met. So he's the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I saw what he did there. And I was in Tampa when that happened. And then he goes to Indiana, <laughs> to Colts, and I come right behind him. So yeah. now I'm in Indianapolis with him. So the two, the two cities I've coached in, you know, two states I've coached in, he's been the head coach of both of those places. And he won the Super Bowl, and you're going to take Indiana to the Rose Bowl, and we're going to get to that. But we'll, we'll get to that. Hold on, we're not going to get. All right. Let's take a let's take a, a stop in Wabash because mm-hmm. Ward schooled me a little bit on this incredible, maybe one of the oldest rivalries in in all of football. Ward, you take it because you know more about this than I do. Uh, I had the great pleasure of going to the Monon Bell Classic. One of my classmates from Peru High School played for DePaul. Now, I know you were, as the special teams coordinator, on the wrong end of a last-second field goal, but I still have <laughs> He some hung stories. his head. It still bothers him. It still bothers yes, him. Yes, it does. It's the only game we lost during the regular season. Oh, it was such a great but wait, team. But wait, tell, oh my gosh. can we have Coach tell us what that rivalry is for those of us that don't really know? Walk us through what that is, Coach. Well, I tell you what, you know, I've coached in a lot of rivalry games now and been in the SEC with, uh, you know, Mississippi State Ole Miss game, the Egg Bowl, which is crazy. Uh, But I'm telling you what, and, you know, you got the open bucket here and playing for the for the for the bucket at Indiana is a huge rivalry for us. And and but for the passion of the fans and the passion of the individuals involved, you you you'll be hard pressed to match the the Paul Wabash rivalry game and just what that game means to so many people. And just, you know, you got to figure you got, you know, Wabash is all guys, you know, there's, there's no (laughs) girls on that campus. Right. And so, I mean, it's a thousand boys and there's a whole lot of stuff going on all the time. And and so when that week of the, the Monon bell game, I mean, they're like, they're stealing the bell and they're like guarding that thing. Like the, like it's the national treasure, you know? And so <laughs> it's got so many, there's so many stories, so much history and the games come down to the last second. So many times places packed standing room only. I mean, sports Illustrated did a big old spread on it, you know, about the rivalry in the game. It's a really special. And so it, it's uh, I don't care. It's division three football. Nobody's getting paid. No scholarships there for guys to, to be there. They're there to be students first. And, and it's just pure. And, and it's just, it was awesome. I mean, I love coaching at Wabash. It's just a neat, neat place. And, and, but like, you said that was the one the only game we lost that year um in the regular season now we ended up going at a great playoff run went to national quarterfinals but but man what a what a devastating (laughs) i was just sick we lost on the last second field goal literally and and it was just uh, to this day a a 47 yarder yeah bomb he kept yeah really had a lot like your chances going into that kick no doubt where does that rank in your career of hardest losses Oh gosh, it's right up there. It is because really? man, it, it, it just means so much to so many people. And and like you said, I had a bunch of friends that had Wabash ties, and even before we got there, and then I just knew what the game. Even though we'd had a great season and we were ranked in, you know, like top five in the country at the time, and and uh, they weren't, they, they had no business beating us. But you know, in that kind of game, you just throw the records out. Yeah, so it, exactly. But it's up there. Yeah, it just it just it's like kicking the groin. What about the flip side <laughs> in your career? What's the sweetest win? And don't don't be play favorites like you got to tell us it's an Indiana win. If it's not an Indiana win, we get it. I want to know what is the win that sticks out in your career as you are most proud of. Well, I am going to say the the Oak and Bucket game of this past year. Yes. You know, I yes. just can't. You know, it just means so much to me. You know, obviously, as the head coach, it's the first time beating them. We've obviously came down the two previous years to, 
to going to a bowl game where the game goes to bowl and, 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 and losing two close games to those guys. And so getting that at Purdue, the way that we won, obviously we had a big lead, let it slip away, just the emotions, the roller coaster. We don't have Stevie Scott. We don't have this guy. We don't have that guy. They got a bunch of injuries. I mean, everybody kind of, you know, just had to grit, just, just, it was a grit fight, you know, to yeah. the bitter end and double yeah. overtime. And they, on the third and 16, that ball bounces off the knee of their tight end. That yes. kid catches it laying on the ground in the five-yard line. I mean, what's the chances of that happening? It would have been fourth and 16. But anyways, so – and the kids found a way to win, you know. So it was just an amazing, amazing, amazing win. And so that, that's that got to be number one. But I'm going to tell you, a close second, just to be fair and be honest, we beat Alabama when I was at Ole Miss. Yeah. And it, they were ranked number one in the country in, in, in 2014 on national television – uh, college game day was at Ole Miss. They were at the game and all that. And it came down to literally the last matter of fact, it was a replay. They had to go through and we got an interception and there was like 20 seconds to go in the game or whatever. And so it's basically is either an interception and the game's over. We win the game. We're up by six and it's a, this, this long hesitation and boom, they say that we got the interception. We get to go out. We take any games over and it was just, I mean, I think that I think they're still partying. I mean, they they celebrated. <laughs> they cut. They tore down the goalposts. They cut the goalposts up. They they carried them through town before they cut them up. I mean, it was just unbelievable, you know, to beat. I mean, you know, Alabama didn't lose many games. No. You know, Nick Saban. They just his record's just like ridiculous, and so they hardly ever lose. And so, but to meet a team like that, so those are the top two collegiately. It's that. It sounds like the Ole Miss version of the watch shot. Yeah. yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. You're I, right. Look, we uh, you're giving us a lot of time, and I don't want to take too much advantage of it. But just to complete the um the path here, after Wabash, you go to Lambeth University. You spend a couple years in Lambeth. You go to Drake as defensive coordinator, uh, then assistant head coach at Arkansas State. I'm just going to skip over those real quick because I do want to get to you're a football guy through and through, yeah. and you get a chance to go to the SEC and be the defensive coordinator or the linebackers coach and special teams coordinator at Ole Miss. That I mean, from a, from just a football sense, that has to feel like you're going to the promised land on some level. And also, financially, I would imagine that at Lambeth and Drake and Arkansas State, you're not making a lot of money at those places. But at the SEC school, you're probably taking a big step up. What was that like in your life at that moment that, that you arrived at the SEC? Well, professionally, it was a game changer. There's no question. Matter of fact, I... And all those places you mentioned, I made more as a high school coach than I made it in those other places. That's <laughs> wow. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. And at small college, there's not there's very little right. financial at all. And so it was the first time. Yeah, it was a, it was a significant, immediate change in that regard. And, and just the whole thing. But think about this. So every coach had their own press conference. You know, so every – I mean, I was the special teams coordinator and coach linebackers. And and so, yeah, every coach had to press conference. Matter of fact, how about this? So, during that interview or that during that press conference, two things happened that kind of – I've kind of laughed about or, you know, kind of mentioned since. The first one was I'm in Oxford, Mississippi, and they asked me about being from Newcastle, Indiana, the home of Steve Alford and the <laughs> largest <laughs> high school gym in America. How about that? That's during my press conference. <laughs> At Ole Miss, they're asking <laughs> and Indiana high school basketball. That's a true story. How That's about that? phenomenal. That's Isn't phenomenal. That crazy? And then the second thing was one reporter asked me, he said, Coach, he's like, uh, he was a Southern draw. He said, Coach, he said, uh, you got to pinch yourself. He said, three years ago, 
you're coaching at Lambeth University. And he's like, <laughs> now you're in the SEC. And I'm like, I said, you know, and I knew what he meant. He, he's yeah. thinking, what the, how the heck did you get here? Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> he didn't say it like that, but I knew what he meant. But you know what? I said, you know what? I'm blessed. And, and I'm so excited to be here. But I said, I'm going to tell you this. I said, I got to chip my shoulder, something to prove. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to prove I belong every single day. Because I knew what he meant. Yeah. And so, but I fire right back at him because I understood <laughs> that and I knew I had something to prove. And so, but it was, that's, it was just different, you know, and it was a lot of, uh, you know, they were two and 12 the year, or they were 10 and 12 the year before we got there or two and 10 the year before we got there. So they weren't any good. And so we had a lot of work to do, but I tell you what, what a passionate fan base that Ole Miss has. And, and uh, it was a fun place to coach. There's no doubt about it. And and you're staying in the the Manning orbit. A couple of good Mannings played there. Sure. Um. But but now that you're you're at the the highest level of college football, and you guys obviously have great success, and you end up beating Alabama. You're ranked in the top ten, as high as number three. You are now experiencing what we all at Indiana never have experienced, and I'm wondering what you were absorbing, learning, taking from that time that you are now able to put into practice in Bloomington to get us all to that place where we're dying to be? Well, one thing that I think that was maybe a little bit surprising was that it's not all that different than coaching at Ben Davis. And here's why I say that. Obviously, it's a way bigger level, but I'm talking about the organization, the way you run your program, the way you practice the way that you the attention to detail the all the little the, the preparation that, that coach Dolahan that I learned from him you know that part isn't a lot different you know there was but here's the thing that's so awesome is that when I was a high school coach man I I wanted to go right from high school to the Big Ten that was my goal I, I said when I left Ben Davis my goal was to be a deep coordinator in the Big Ten but it took 10 years okay? <laughs> and it took 10 years so but I needed Wabash I needed Lambeth I needed Dre. I didn't think I did. I didn't know, but I needed that. I need to learn how to recruit. Okay. Cause recruiting mm-hmm. is the key. Okay. Recruiting is the key because as Hugh Freeze always said, he's right. We're a lot smarter coaches when we got better players. Okay? <laughs> so you better go find good players and you better learn how to recruit and recruiting is relationships. Okay. And I learned that through, but you got to do it. You got to go out and, and you coach small college, man, you got to recruit them all. I mean, you got to be able to recruit from and convince guys to go to places that, that don't necessarily have, we didn't have anything at Lambda. I mean, sometimes they say some place has like bad facilities. We didn't have hardly any facilities. It was just, it was just <laughs> wasn't much there at all. And so, but yet we still, man, convinced kids to come build something special. But you just learned that it, it's not about, the level so much it's about people and it's about learning how and, and to me how you build a team and how you build belief it doesn't matter the level because the level is relative okay and right. so that to me is what I learned probably the most and then it's all just uh, you know you, you just learn how to coach in those games and be a part of that environment and, and at the end of the day yeah the, the crowds are louder but once that all wears off you're just coaching ball Okay, you're making adjustments, you're coaching your kids, you're getting them to play at the highest level possible, and it's just blocking out all the stuff. Earmuffs and blinds. I got that phrase from just being in that environment. And, and that, I mean, you, we played at LSU at night. I mean, that's an oh. unbelievable atmosphere. 
okay, you better have thick skin, earmuffs, and blinders, because you're going to get all sorts of stuff, you know. And it's crazy. I mean, it really is. But you got to learn, and that's why I think you just learn how, hey, when it's all said and done, it's coaching ball. And so that, to me, is what we brought here. I brought that confidence, that expectation, that belief, because I believed we could do it here. I wouldn't come here. I mean, I'm telling you, I believed it, and I talked to a lot of people before I decided to come here. But, yeah, I, I, I get to history. I, I know very much. Okay, and, but at the same same time, I believe what we can do here. And I told it from the beginning: if you don't believe, then get out. Because I want people on board that believe. All right, so I want to get into this because okay, so you leave um, Ole Miss, you go to South Florida as defensive coordinator, help turn them around, eight and five. You go to the Miami Beach Bowl, you three all conference selections, mm -hmm. and then, like you said, you get the call to be the defensive coordinator at Indiana. Fred Glass and, and Kevin Wilson is the head coach. Fred Glass is the AD. And you called your dad, which I love. And, and that was an emotional moment. Yeah. But one of the things I loved about you when you took over the program is you, you bristle a little bit when people bring up the history of Indiana. Oh, yeah. you, it, it really upsets you. Yes. Um, at least that's what I take from it. And I like that. I mean, because the truth is, I think we've had too many people involved in the program overall that just kind of accept it. Like, yeah, 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 that's who we are. And acceptance means you're gonna, you're doomed to repeat it. Um, what was it about Indiana that made you dare to believe, to, to borrow your phrase? How, what did you see there that let you think you could do what you'd done at these other places when it had not been done at Indiana? What was it? Well, when you believe in a place okay so i feel like that all i needed to know was that the administration okay was going to support me okay i had a long conversation with fred glass before i took the job as defensive coordinator okay um and i needed to know from him because i you know like i said kevin wilson was trying to convince me to come here okay and so but i knew the history all right i needed to know that football was going to go from being liked to loved by the administration. Okay. And that means investment. Yeah. Okay. So we talked about, because mm -hmm. at that point in time, the South end zone wasn't built. Nope. Okay? It was yeah. just that, that, that little turf field that they had. Okay. Terrible. And obviously done the North end zone, the new locker room wasn't even built yet. Okay. Nope. We talked about investment in football. Okay. Because I knew the history and I talked to coach Mallory's, you know, even one of his sons about coming here. All right. A very open and honest conversation about coming here. And, and so I talked to, to David Cutcliffe about coming here and, and I wanted his, cause they had just played Indiana in the bowl game. Okay. And so I valued his opinion. And so, but those two guys played a, a very important role in me coming here. Okay. But the kick, the, the final for me was Fred Glass. And I wanted to hear from him who I, cause I knew he was in position to do it, that he was going to invest in football. And he did everything he said he was going to do. And that's why I believe that we're where we are right now and we're positioning ourselves to move forward. But that's the key. Once again, I learned that from, from Dick Dolahan. Okay. You better have, I don't care if it's a high school football program, a small college football program, SEC program, Big Ten program, the administration must commit to football. Okay. And I get, I understand Indiana basketball is always going to be what it is. And you know what? I love it. 
I'm cheering as loud as anybody in assembly hall. It right? doesn't and bother I, I you it. at all. You're not, there's no oh, resentment no. of the, yeah. okay. I love it. I want them to win this freaking national championship. Okay. Yes. And so that's what I want. All right. And so, but I want us to do it together. Yeah. And so when I talked to David Cutcliffe about what he did at Duke, okay, he's in the same situation there. All right. And he chose to go there into those same premises. Okay. And so that's the mindset. And that is, I want to embrace that part of it and use it as a positive for us in football. Okay. But at the same time, I got to have commitment from the administration that football is going to be important. And that was the difference. Well, and I think any Indiana basketball fan knows that the better the football team does, the better it is for the basketball team, not just with the financing that comes into the athletic department, but just the whole allure of the school of being a, a school that's great at both sports. You know, whether you're looking at, a, you know, Ohio State or Michigan that have a rich history in both sports, it, it just everybody does better when everybody does better. Obviously, what you got from Fred Glass was the commitment you needed to your sport. Um, and I am curious now with Scott Dolson coming in, obviously, I'm sure you've gotten to know him well in your time there. Have you had a chance to have discussions with Scott about, okay, what, what do we need to do next to go to the next level from facilities and other, other support for the program on and off the field? How, how are those discussions going? Oh, it's the first thing we talked about. You know, and that was I needed to know and I wanted to believe and, and hear that we were going to continue to invest in football. OK, we've started the process. You know, I, I talked to Coach Mallory, you know, before he passed away. You know, we talked. We had this very conversation. He said, do not let them stop investing in football. That was his charge to me. And he was right. And then we so I had these strong conversations okay, to understand that concept. And now Scott's the new leader of the athletic programs here in Indiana. And, and he's 100 percent on board with that. And there's things we have to do. I believe that is continuing to invest in football, make it a priority. And, and then I think with the fan base and all, hey, everybody loves a winner. You know, you want to fill up Memorial Stadium, win football games. Okay. <laughs> it's not complicated. All right. So <laughs> I believe that's what's going to happen. All right. You play good football, you win football games, people are going to come, people are going to stay. Period. All right. So I love the blinders and earmuffs. And I have a feeling that is so much how you live your life that, that the noise doesn't get to you. You came into a situation that whether you knew it or not, I'm curious how much you did know, it was noisy. There was stuff going on with the head coach, Kevin Wilson, and Kevin did some really good things for Indiana. Let's not kid ourselves. I mean, we were in, not in good shape when Kevin took over and recruiting did get a little bit better. The offense obviously became a national leader, you know, but, but there were things going on behind the scenes that even we didn't know and they came to fruition before you were even there for a full year. Did you know any of that coming in that there was a chance you were being brought in to be groomed to be head coach? Absolutely not. Okay. None. Zero. Uh, and, and honestly, maybe I was naive. I didn't know a lot of stuff that was going on here in, in right. that regard. And so um, I didn't. My son committed to play here before I was the head coach. Kevin Wilson mm. was the head coach. Okay, huh. just, you know, just to understand the, the, the chronology of all that, you know. So when that happened, Tom, how difficult was that? I mean, that's a tough thing to go through when a coach is removed, um, especially when, especially when it happened. The bottom line is, is I will always appreciate, respect, and be thankful for Kevin Wilson and what he did to bring me home and give me a chance here. 
And it was extremely difficult. I mean, that, that press conference that I had to sit through and be a part of, you know, to be named the head coach was a difficult day. Yeah. Very difficult day. I was so torn. Uh, I, I respect Kevin Wilson so much. And, and I, I hurt. I did. I hurt for him and his family. I just, that was not easy at all. And I had to stand in front of the football team. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, look, you're a passionate, emotional guy who had returned home. And now you're being given the keys to run a Big Ten, your home school. And it should be a celebratory moment. But it wasn't. I mean, it was weird. Did you ever have the moment? Was it when you signed your extension recently? Like, when did you have the moment where you could just enjoy that you were the head coach at Indiana? Probably when I signed my extension. Yeah. I'm serious. It's crazy that might sound. Because you think about it, that, that happened. And I went right into out into recruiting and getting ready for a bowl game. You know, so and it was that whole time it was just handling that whole dynamic and it was just it was tough. It really was. And, and the team and handling all them. And, and so, yeah, I would say it was after we beat Purdue, after we beat Purdue and that whole extension thing was finalized. And yeah, that was probably when I really had a chance to really enjoy it. Plus, you like you had to earn that. I mean, I know you have to earn everything in, in coaching, but here you had to come to a tough place in Indiana, historically difficult. And you had to prove it here to get the job. Like you were given the job because of the circumstances and because you were the best guy for the job. But then you had to have a couple of years That's of right. earning it. And you did. It was such a celebration, I think, for everybody. I mean, the fans were so happy that finally it felt like we got our guy. And we haven't had our guy. I'll be honest. We, I think we had our guy with Terry Hepner. I agree. We, we had that moment of belief with Hep. Who, who you and Hep share a lot of like characteristics, truthfully, I think in the belief system, Hep just didn't have time to execute. Correct. And, but, but you were our guy. So when that happened, we all celebrated. I mean, I think like you, you, you won over a jaded fan base for decades. That has to feel good, right? Well, because it's my home and this place is special to me. Yeah. It, really, it makes it feel really good. And, but yeah, it also excites me for what we're building, you know, in the, in the future and, and, and just, yeah, wanted to be a part of that and wanted to give our fans what I know they, they long for, which is a big 10 championship and the chance to go win the Rose Bowl. And that, that to me is really a special, special thing that, uh, you know, that's our goal. And that's what, that's why I came here, you know, and that's why I took this job and, and I, and I believe in that. And so to me, that's, that's really what, uh, you know, yeah, it, it's a special thing because of the people and, and what this, you know, job represents for me and, and, and this, it's, it's my home. Speaking of special things, uh, not a lot of men get to coach their son at the college level. How wonderful is that? But then also, how do you balance being a father and a coach? Well, it's, it's an awesome opportunity and it's a huge blessing. It's a challenge, you know, and I, you know, I played for my dad and know, you know, that, and it's obviously the, at the high school level, it's not the same in regards to the pressure, but there's, it's, it's, there's a lot of things that are similar and, and you kind of learn how to, you know, handle that through that situation. And I, and I think I've learned how to handle it better over time, you know, cause it's, it's really easy to be harder on him than, than everybody else just because you don't want anybody to ever think just like I'd never wanted anybody to think I was giving any favors because of you know being related to the head coach you know and so I just feel like that that's just uh, it's probably tougher on the kid than it is the dad you know but it's a special special time and because we're together and that's what kind of came down to it's like you know where you know, who do you want influencing your son number one and then number two you know 
if he doesn't collegiately, if, if your son doesn't play for you, you'll never see him play, you know, cause you're playing when he, right. And so you get, it's either one or the other, one extreme or the other. And so, so that is just a unique, unique opportunity, you know, just to be able to have him to be able to be a big 10 athlete is a special thing. And, and he works his tail off and he's, he's earned the right to be here, but it's uh it's, it's really pretty awesome. There's no doubt. So two totally crass questions. Number one, when did you start hating Purdue the way we all hate Purdue? Did it start when you were a kid in Newcastle rooting for Steve Alford? Partly, yeah, because <laughs> yeah. You, know, you don't feel it the same as you, you – obviously when you're that age. But, yeah, I mean, you're just – you understand what, what's, what that game represents and, and just the whole rivalry. And, you know, but I got, I got family members on both sides, you know. So I got yeah. cousins that, that went one school and cousins that go to the other – you went to the other school. So that, that's where um, – it's funny because my, my dad's family is all raised in southern Indiana. My mom's family is raised in northern Indiana. So – it's like there's your two extremes. You know, you got family. Is that how it's split so too? It totally the North Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so matter of fact, at the bucket game this year, I had several of my cousins that were, you know, they're they went to Purdue. Oh. Their kids go to Purdue right now, you know, as we speak. And you so, didn't give them so, tickets, yeah, you, did you? Those weren't your tickets. Heck, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> <You know> what? <laughs> All right, and then my second crass question: In 1992, you signed for Temple to to, to coach at Temple Heights for fifteen thousand dollars a year. And this past year, you signed a $27 million extension. It's reported. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's very few people in the history of the world that get to, you know, um, earn that kind of financial arrangement. And, and more power to you and couldn't be happier for you. But did you buy anything silly right away? I mean, I know you're an accountant at heart, yeah. but did you did you take the money and do something with it that you'd always wanted to do? Just something? You know, this may sound really crazy, but no. You know, I had a guy ask you, you just I saved did, it. I said, I said I invested it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we're, I'm a pretty frugal guy now. I'm telling you, and uh, because of how I was raised and and the, what I'm used to, you know, people always like, you know, obviously that it's our our salary is public knowledge, and so yeah. it's pretty obvious. But I like fellas. I said I've not always made that that kind of money and i said I, we started out at the you know smallest level both high school and then when i went to college as a division three coach and so you know we we appreciate what we've been given and and uh, yeah but we're we've tried to you know i've really wanted to do um i bought my parents a car there we go that's great uh and they both cried you know so uh, i want to take really good care of them i, I i'm i want to be but I want to be generous. I want to give. I love giving. I just we've been blessed. My goodness. I mean, if you ever told me I was going to make this kind of money coaching football, good grief. I mean, not yeah. not a chance. You know. So Do I, me a favor. Yeah. Just just when those cousins from Purdue call for a loan <laughs> or something, maybe lose their number. You, you know what I mean? <laughs> you don't need to put on the phone for that. That's oh, great. Coach, listen. You've given us more time than we ever could have hoped for. Uh, Ward and I like to sum up things at the end of these. I got to tell you, man, look, I grew up an Indiana fan. I've watched every Indiana football game since I can remember. I mean, obviously the Big Ten Network allows us to watch every game from out here in California. I went to every football game when I was there uh, in 1995 to 1999, where, by the way, one of those games was a parents weekend where I believe Indiana in one game against Michigan State when Tony Banks was the quarterback for Michigan State, I believe Indiana had less than five tackles in the first half. <laughs> I'm just going to throw that out there, okay? But what you have allowed us to do as fans, you have given us permission to dare to believe. And there is nothing we can do to thank you enough for that. Indiana football is something that Ward and I talk about 
Our friends talk about it. Saturdays have become exciting. My family knows like, hey, if the Indiana football game is on that Saturday now, like let's not, we're not going to Tebow it and watch it later like we did before and fast forward it through 15 minutes. We're going to watch this game. You've given us hope. You have done the single hardest thing to do in my estimation at any college program, which is you have built a culture and you've done it in short order. And at the beginning, I was skeptical of LEO. I was like, I, I was one of those guys. I don't know what that means. I am so fully on board that I, I, I just would run through a wall for you. And I can't imagine the way your kids on that team feel for you. Thank you for everything you've done for Indiana. Thank you for your continued passion for it. Don't ever leave, ever. <laughs> like, sorry, you're gonna have to just get carted off on the field. Like that's what is gonna have to happen. Thank you, coach. And if there's anything we can ever do for you in our little world of, of trying to get the message out, we will, because you're a treasure and thank you. Growing up a kid with an Anthony Thompson jersey on, being an undergrad and watching Antoine Ranallel scramble around the field and make things exciting and have that feeling of excitement again, knowing we're going to go toe to toe. We're not going to like keep it close in the first half and then get destroyed in the second half. We're not going to blink. And that is something as, as Hoosiers coast to coast around the world, we, we love it and we're here for you. And uh, hopefully we'll all get a chance to root for you guys really soon again. Well, I sure appreciate that, and I hope so, too. You, too, but one more thing. We did this with Archie. We got to do it with you. You did say you don't like to hurt yeah. people. You don't follow us oh. on Twitter, and it hurts. <laughs> it'll, it'll hurt us. Consider it done, baby. Yeah! <laughs> yeah, we got it. There right. you go. Coach, uh, we will be back in Bloomington when they allow us to come back and watch games when you're playing, and we would love to meet you and shake your hand when we're allowed to do that in person. Well, thank you, Eric and Ward. I appreciate you having me on your show. It's been a pleasure. Elio. Wow. I am I am so on board the Tom Allen train. My feet were like bouncing. Like I was doing I was yeah. doing like the chopper steps right here. I'm sweating. I'm sweating. I'm and it's not hot here. I'm just worked up. You can get it in the, the press conferences. You can get it in the two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes. But when it's just coming at you, for how long was that? I don't know. Time stood still. Hour, Hour and, and, a, and, half. and a half. Hour and a half. I'm just like, of course these guys are believing. Of course these guys are winning. Because how can you be exposed to such positive energy for day after day after day and not pick up on it? I am ready to go. I agree, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flip it because I actually think Tom Crean was that. No, no, but this is my point. This is my point. No, 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 no. They're not the same. But my point is you can give the illusion of that. You can give the illusion of I'm that guy who's I believe and blah, blah, blah. And that was Tom Crean. This is so genuine and authentic to who this guy is as a human being. Like you said, it just comes at you. It just explodes out of him. It's just so genuinely authentic from him. I just couldn't get over that. It's just him. I think about, you know, professional athletes and aside from their, their physical size and abilities, 
what also makes them exceptional is is a level of energy and even people who are successful in any walk of life just seem to have another gear another level that they exist at that most people do not and the fact that that guy was that fired up and that intense talking to us can you imagine to people who matter like his players or referees or a recruit yeah or a recruit yeah. oh dude when he got into the ref stuff i was like yes yeah, yeah. we are not going to be trampled on you cannot pull that crap on us uh, look he has i meant it he has given a generation of fans a reason to have faith and belief in indiana football in a way that has not been the case since the early 90s when when we were a good program it's interesting because obviously even in Mallory's heyday, it was never, you know, at the heights of, of what Indiana basketball was at that time. And even you go back to the Rose Bowl game and it was a bit of an anomaly and they didn't even win the conference that year. But then at least with Mallory, you had sustained success. Yeah. And then through our years in the Camp Cameron, it was like, well, this isn't working, but at least we have Antoine Randall L to keep it exciting. Yeah, but we were terrible. And then, you know, once you get into the, the, the HEP era, you're like, oh, okay, now we can believe. And then obviously that ends in tragedy. And then, the, you know, Bill Lynch, it doesn't work out, but then you get to Kevin Wilson and this offense all of a sudden becomes a national power. And then this fiery DC comes up from, from Florida, originally from Newcastle. And you're like, well, now we got it going on both sides of the ball. And then everything sort of falls apart with Kevin Wilson. So in the same way, we've sort of had this up and down, wanting to believe, but it not working out for you know, decades. I was going to say, decades it, of evidence. Yeah, and that we've we've now lived through 20 years of that in basketball. So you can say, you know, 30 years of football. But now I, I feel like, and I, I don't think I'm alone in this, wouldn't it be great if this last 20 years of basketball and 30 years of football are, are just that? And now give us 10, 20 years of continuity and success on both sides, please, please. Please. That's all please, we're asking for is 20 years of continuity. We paid our dues at this point. That is true. I I will say that, look, we, we talked about this with, with Archie or anybody that comes to Indiana. If you, and basketball, if you aren't from Indiana or grew up in it somehow, I mean, I wasn't born in Indiana, but I clearly grew up as a Hoosier because of my parents and, and family's attachment. You can't truly understand what it means. You can respect it and you can value it, but it's not part of your being. Tom Allen grew up in Indiana and we know it doesn't have the football tradition that, that, that basketball does, but he knows what it means to be made fun of for the history of Indiana football. And it pisses him off. That, as an Indiana fan, like you and I, we know that we are the butt of a lot of jokes about football. We have been. We've made them. Okay? And that sucks. Bum, and bum, that, bum, bum. Yeah, <laughs> that little inside joke there, it, it sticks in us, right? It's part mm -hmm. of us. And it is clearly part of what drives him. And you cannot teach that. You cannot learn that. You cannot adopt that. And... He has it in spades and it's part of what drives him. And I love that. And I had never really broken down his resume. Everywhere he went, they win. And it got better. It got, got better, better and they win. And it did quickly. 
and it did it in Indiana. He knows that we are ready to jump on the wagon and stay on the wagon and not let those damn Buckeyes come into town and take more seats in Memorial Stadium than we Hoosiers have. And, and, and I just think that to say, hey, I'm a, an Indiana kid and I get to come back home and I get to be the guy who finally, through love and the, knowing the game of football inside and out, I get to be the one that puts football at IU up on the same pedestal at the same level as basketball, and they'll both just be top 10 programs for the rest of our lifetime. I agree. It's uh, facts. It's just facts. I love his discipline. I love the lessons that he's taken from these prior legendary coaches that he's worked for. Um, God, I'm, I'm on board, man. I'm on board. Look, it's our first football podcast there's been some people who've been asking us to do some football podcasts and we've resisted um, because, you know, we're focused on basketball. It's what we know. We know it more than football, but we wanted to do this and we've been wanting to do this one for a long time. So uh, that was awesome. Wow. He's awesome. And I'm going to go check Twitter right now to see if he's followed us yet. I'm going to go do three miles on the elliptical. Yeah. God, dude's a stud. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Hoosier Hysterics. For the hysterics, no E, no I. But the, but the sometimes, sometimes why. From the halls of assembly, you'll hear us scream and shout. Our love of Indiana is manic and devout. Archie and his boys, we discuss in unique manner. We won't be satisfied until we hang another banner. Us two goofy guys go by names of Ward and Eric. And as you probably know by now, we're Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics. Hoosier Hysterics.